You're listening to the iRacers Lounge Podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Mason Stiver. Hey, guys. Shane Chastain. Hello. Will Gibson. Hey, what's up, everybody? And special guest, Christian Challoner. Hey. Hey, welcome back. Uh, today's special guest br- segment brought to you by Sim Lab Racing Sim Products. Check out their quality sim racing chassis to suit your sim racing needs at sim-lab.eu. All right, uh, Christian, we were just talking. You were back on our podcast, I think it was 2016. Um I believe talking about your peak season back then and uh, or, or going into peak. Uh, I don't recall exactly uh, when did you start in peak? Yeah, that was uh, that was actually a little bit before peak. Um, it was, yeah. That was my first season in peak was twenty seventeen. The next year, yeah. Yeah, but that was that was after we just finished uh, a hosted fixed league, I think, and and I was invited on. So yeah, it's been oh, a little while, right. and things are. Uh, Things are a lot different now, I suppose. Yeah, we had the Winter League. Uh, Alan was running, and I think we ran that in the off-season uh, as a substitute for NIS, I think it was what we were doing at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. All right, well, welcome back. Uh, now, for our listeners, and we have a lot of different listeners, I think, from you know more than three years ago. Tell us, uh, when did you first hear about iRacing, and uh, what did you do about it when you heard that word? Um, see, this was, this was an interesting thing. I used to play Forza Motorsport 2 with a friend way, way, way back. And um, it was the time I used to play on console a lot. And he, he got on iRacing one day, and he, he kind of kept going on about how great it was and how awesome it was. And it was actually kind of funny, because me and a couple other friends were like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever, sort of thing. and then. Back in 2014, I got I got a new laptop for college, and I thought like oh, that's okay. Maybe maybe I should download it and see if it really is as good as I'm told. And yeah, I I downloaded it. I hooked up my my laptop to my TV and my uh, my old Fanatec Porsche wheel, and I gave it a go. And I was like, yeah, you, you know what? This is this is really pretty good. And it just kind of went from there, really. All right. Well, very good. Um, so. Uh, let's talk about what you're racing now we we mentioned you're obviously a peak driver and you're in the peak series and we got the uh, finale coming up here and we'll talk about that later but what else are you running besides peak are you doing leagues are you just practicing do you run nis what are you running um i i use a open as kind of sort of a a test bed for the peak series races when they kind of line up so the, the way it's been working this season is what we'll have is is the the peak race has kind of moved from instead of being after the real life race, it's now before. So it means we kind of only get the Monday night a opens to get an idea of what the car's like. So I tend to run two of those and that's kind of the night before a peak race. Outside of that, I usually race the Sara super late model series on a Thursday. And then kind of on, on a different sort of note, when it comes to road racing, I've, I've been running in the world GT series on a, a Monday night with the, with the GTE cars. And as well as as well as that, I also run in the well. It used to be Pacific Majors League. It's now just called the Majors League, and that kind of runs not really every other Sunday, but 
as they're kind of aligned, it's usually about one to two events a month. And yeah, I've been running in the European league for that. So kind of maybe a little bit infrequent racing, but a lot of it. Okay. And I see here on your profile page, you actually won your last A Open race. Uh, so congratulations on that. Uh, let's talk about your winning percentage. 41% on oval over, or excuse me, on road overall, oval 17%, uh, dirt oval 23 and dirt road 33%. So you got some great numbers there. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the road wins, I think they came from back when actually kind of back when I started, I, I really enjoyed racing the old FR500S Mustang, and I used to race that in a couple of different leagues and the, the Grand Touring Cup a lot. So I think a lot of my road wins are from that. Uh, the oval oval side of things is, is really all the cup car. I kind of did, did that whole progression of, oh, I'm going to get enough to get the NIS so I can have the C license, and, and then I just raced that from there. And I think the other things is kind of a combination of just dabbling with the dirt kind of things every now and again. I do find it fun. I just can't really dedicate the time to being really as good as good as I'd like to be at it. All right, let's shift gears. Tell us about hardware, software. What is it you're running for monitors, VR, computer, uh, third-party software, that kind of thing? Uh, when it comes to hardware, the pedals I use are the Hersingveld Ultimates, and I've used those since I think I actually think back in 2016 when I when when I was racing initially kind of before pro is when I switched to those and they've been a great pedal set. I've, I've had no problems at all with them. I've pretty much bolted them on then and I've never taken them off. I've never really done anything to them. And, and yeah, they've been, they've been awesome. The wheel I use is the Leo Bodner SS2 direct drive wheel and that same deal. I just plugged it in, worked. It was, it was great. You know, uh, in terms of hardware monitors wise, I have messed around a little bit with VR, but the resolution just isn't quite there yet, so I'm kind of, kind of sticking with my three twenty-seven inch monitors. They've they've served me pretty well, I think. And this year, I kind of made a little bit of a switch to using the the Joel real timing dashboard software, and I, I really like that. I I I mean, I did get it for free, so I do have to say that. But I I use that in every single race, and I know the guys who watch my stream, they see it. I have it overlaid on the screen for them, and. Yeah, I, I I really think that that kind of thing is is very useful. I mean, it tells you fuel temps, all that kind of stuff. So, I I kind of finalized on that setup, and then haven't really moved from it for a couple of years now. So you're doing the dashboard overlay or uh, timing and scoring or what? Yeah, I use the dashboard. Um, I've got a little USB screen that I kind of have that outputted to. That's just just behind my wheel. We were just talking about that last week, I think. David, you've been trying it out. What do you think? I'm sorry. What was that? That uh, Joel Real Timing dashboard. Oh, yeah. Um, it was, uh, it's great. Um, I did find out that I have to take a... It'll change your fuel settings if you don't set it not to. So it was actually putting me down at the minimum amount of fuel I was needing, and then I would run short, but I've got that figured out. But, yeah, I'm definitely purchasing it. Cool. All right, yeah. uh... Yeah, and, and so you're liking the dashboard. I tried it for a while, but it's a little daunting because there's so much information. I'm not sure what's what. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of have to sort of block out what isn't necessarily relevant at the time. But I do agree. There's, there's, there's to be honest, I think way too much stuff on it. Like, you don't really need to know kind of what your force feedback levels and 
things like that are but uh, overall i really like it i really like the shift light aspect of it as well actually having having just a, a big purple panel that lights up in front of me and tells me to shift i really like that yeah and i've just been playing with uh something that's part of that called joe real timing spotter overlay and uh it's like a proximity sensor it's kind of cool I haven't played around much with the kind of spotter aspect of it, but I know we've we've used it in endurance races before, and it's been pretty helpful. Yep. Well, let's talk about your season so far here at uh, in the Peak Series. Um, so you started Peak in, I believe, 2017. I think you finished 8th. 2018, it was 10th. I think you have a base, uh, best race result of 2nd, and uh, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And I think this year at the moment I'm currently 12th with a round to go. 12th with a round to go. So you're solidly in the top 20. I when I was looking at the points, I mean, I think you're safe. What do you think? Yeah, I I believe I've got something like 50 or more points, so I I can't actually be knocked out. So I'm locked for next year, which is which is great. Uh I it's kind of been a bit up and down this year. I don't really feel like my results have kind of shown actually how good the pace has been which is unfortunate well i was looking at your finishes and um i'm going to read them off here and my takeaway is feast or famine that's kind of how your year has been but let me read them off uh, fifth 10th 35th 37th 11th 25th 16th 11th 6th 11th 4th 34th 16th 12th 16th 33rd 8th so the best was fourth. Yeah, and that best with fourth, I think I'm I'm pretty certain that was Kentucky. And to yeah, be Kentucky. honest, looking at that race now, I I really believe that I should have won that. I I'm almost certain I had the best car for that, and I I kind of I kind of knew that in the warm up, and because I knew that, I kind of took it easier than I should have done at the start, and that. It didn't set me back a lot, but it just set me back enough, you know, and it meant that at the very end when I was second and the yellow came out and I was just that little bit behind Zach in, instead of instead of maybe being ahead of him, you know, and that, that was kind of looking at that now, that's, that's really frustrating for me because I know that that was probably my best chance of winning a race this year. Right. Yeah, I think I recall that race. I mean, you guys have been put on some good racing too this year. So tell us about the new package uh, with the lower downforce and, uh, excuse me, higher downforce, lower horsepower. How has it affected you and your racing? Has it helped or hindered? I would definitely say that for me personally, it, it's hindered it. And the reason I would say for that is because I'm, I'm kind of known for being uh, a terrible qualifier. And the, the way this package works with the, with the, the aero push and so on that only amplifies those effects so whereas in previous seasons and and actually i don't i don't really think it's a coincidence where say the tracks where we're not as limited on aero um i've been able to drive forwards compared to tracks where the say for example indianapolis where the aero push was just so horrendous you needed something like half a second advantage to really be able to pass anybody and, and especially if you're not a good qualifier and i don't think i am a good qualifier that's that's where this new package is really hurt because it's kind of put a huge emphasis on on qualifying good and really maintaining track position 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's kind of a different kind of NASCAR than it was last year. Uh, let's talk about JGT, JTG, Dottery, Dottery. That's a mouthful. Uh, and the draft. Uh, tell us about what happened when the draft uh, was announced. Uh, what was your feelings about it? Did you think you were going to get in? And, and what were you feeling when you figured out that you were going to be uh, part of it? The the draft was was kind of really an interesting thing, and when it was kind of originally announced, I've got to be honest and say I was I was really skeptical about how it would work, but kind of now in retrospect and and how it's been for me over the season, it's it's kind of really been the opposite of that. I think it's been I think it's been huge, even if it's not kind of huge on a personal level for say some of the other guys who were drafted. I think. I think on a sort of a series-wide kind of viewpoint, it's been great. We the, the viewership has been way up. We're getting so much more promotion from the real teams, and I know my experience personally was that it's it's been a it's been a really cool thing to be a part of, and I I know I was really happy with my draft pick. I I've had really good contact with JTG over the whole year, and and it's been really it's been really good for me. I know kind of being overseas has made a couple of things a little bit difficult, but in general, I've I've really enjoyed it, and they've been they've been really supportive about it. And I think going into the draft, I I felt like I was safe to be drafted. I I was pretty certain I wasn't going to be a first round pick just on the basis of okay, I finished eighth and tenth, which is good, but I hadn't won a race, still haven't won a race. Um, and then I kind of had the the whole overseas thing is probably playing against me a little bit. I know maybe you've seen say some of the other some of the other drafting organizations have kind of really played played the whole deal of getting guys out to races and getting them to do things and so on. And I knew that would go against me, but overall it's been a, it's been a really positive thing, I think for the series as a whole. And I'm, I'm really thankful to everybody who kind of put themselves forward as wanting to be a team involved. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. You're uh, great Britain, UK, the big, big Island over there. Uh, most of the peak drivers are U.S. based. Uh, there's a few of you guys that are, you know, elsewhere. Uh, tell us a little bit more about how much is that a hindrance? Uh, time zones and that kind of thing. Uh, uh, connectivity, uh, like for example, some of these teams are inviting these peak drivers to events, but you're not. I mean, you're so far away. Maybe that's not possible. Uh, what other challenges are there by being in Europe? Uh, and then the second part of that question. What would you say to other European oval drivers who want to get involved uh, in what, you know, they're facing? It's mainly the timing more than anything else, to be honest. The the peak races, they start, well, I say they start, like the kind of sessions go up around about 2 a.m. my time. So you think most races are kind of done by about 4 a.m. Some of them drag on a little bit, maybe get out a little bit closer to 5 a.m. So it's timing wise, it's it's honestly, it's a huge drag. I I have to kind of set everything about what I do around that. And I mean, I've, I've built kind of the other things I do like socially around that. So it's, it's not so bad if you're kind of able to do that, you can still kind of have a good time about it. And especially this year, that's actually what I focused on a lot because I know last year I perhaps wasn't really enjoying it because of that aspect. I was kind of having to not do things that I would like to do. And, and this year I've kind of made a, a big effort to kind of fix that. And I, I definitely say that the time offset is, is a really difficult thing to work around. I know 
I know I don't actually have it the worst. There's Yal Tian who's an hour ahead of me, so the race is starting at three a.m. his time. So it's it 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 could be worse. That is definitely the biggest barrier, though, is just the timing of when the peak races are, and especially with them being in a week. It's if you don't kind of have a job that's accommodating around that, then you you're just not going to be able to race. You know, I think if people want to get involved, though, I definitely think that they should. There's kind of European friendly times. We see those uh, Wednesday and Thursday afternoon races and fixed and open now that people can people can race in. So there's there's definitely opportunities if people want them. Maybe perhaps not at the highest levels, just because of kind of real life getting in the way, but. I definitely think if people are interested in it, they should give it a go. Yeah, real life, like being on NBC for a nationwide broadcast for the first time in a sim points race. Uh, that's going to be huge. Uh, so excited for you guys. Well, thank you so much, uh, Christian, for coming back on and giving us an update about what's going on with your season. Uh, so happy to see you're in the top 20 solid and uh and we'll see you next year obviously now let's talk uh next about the roval and let's kind of break that down uh but first i want to mention uh iRacers lounge podcast sponsors the podium esports oval series they run multi-class xfinity and trucks uh, they'll be racing again at dover october 6. uh roval let's talk about the charlotte roval uh first of all uh you know christian tell us about your race uh well, it didn't didn't start off the way I wanted it to. I I I just completely messed up my qualifying. I knew that I kind of needed to put down a good lap, and I knew how good my race car was, and I just I just completely put way too much pressure on myself to to kind of pull it off. I overdrove the first corner on the first attempt in qualifying, and I, I completely missed it. So I reset, and I went, okay, I'm going to go again, and I'm not going to do that. And I got down to turn one, and I did exactly the same thing again. So. Yeah, the qualifying kind of put me back in 15th, which for a race with no yellows, there's there's no opportunity there. Like I I knew from that point there was absolutely no way I could contend for the win, but I'm sat there and I'm like, okay, well, yep, 15th, not great. Definitely still do something from here. I can maybe get to the top five. I honestly believe that I could get to the top five. And I kind of got... I kind of got drawn into that and I was like, right, I need to make up places really quickly. And, and then on, on the second lap, I was pushing really hard and I was actually following my kind of my, my setup teammate, as it were, Ashton. And just coming onto the oval, I was, I was so close behind him and I was like, I'm going to get this run and I'm going to try and get him down into the chicane. And I just offset my car slightly to the right. And because I was so close to him, I couldn't see where the wall was. And he'd come off the corner basically perfectly with like the tiniest gap to the wall. And because I was offset, I just completely killed it. And I knew when I hit it that I just, I destroyed any chance of getting to where I felt like I should have been. So I kind of was a big fight from there. And I was really mad at myself the whole race. I did eventually kind of drag myself through to eighth, but I had a minute and 15 seconds of damage and just, just no straight line speed. Okay, but you got up to 8th from the 15th, uh, so that's uh, pretty amazing uh, considering you had that damage. Yeah, I, I know my guys did a great job of kind of calming me back down because a couple of laps after that, I was just really mad, and and they were like, okay, well, we, like, we know that you're mad, but like you can't do nothing about it now. You've done it, so just 
deal with it, stop overdriving the car, kind of pull it back, and we'll do something with strategy. And I, I got to give it to them that they they saved my race absolutely. I just uh, I'd ruined it at that point, and they did a they did an awesome strategy. We did huge undercuts both pit stops, and and it really worked out. We we jumped. Um, I think we jumped both Matt Booster and Brad Davis in the second pit stop, and. I was like, okay, well, they might get back to us because we'd done a huge undercut. Like we pitted maybe three to four laps earlier than, than kind of the schedule would have been, and I just never, I never saw him come back. So, I, yeah, it's just a big thanks to my guys for really gaining us the track position when I'd, I'd put us in a bad spot. They did a great job of salvaging the race, and I, I just kind of drove and tried to, try to not make the same mistakes again. All right, well, good run, a top ten. Uh, Bobby Zelensky, uh, led every lap. He was on pole, led every lap, I believe, not even one when he pitted. I think he still led them all, but, uh, and wins and dominated pretty much. And, uh, boy, he was on fire. Um, but there were some good battles that, uh, the, the broadcast was focused, focused on, uh, Ryan Lowe and, uh, uh, what's his name? Blake Reynolds. Uh, and they were really going at it side by side, as uh, Evan would say. And uh, it was uh, entertaining to watch those guys go at it. But other than that, you had to, you know, it was, it was fun to kind of watch the strategy, you know, and who was, you know, pitting early or short pitting or whatever. Yeah, the, the strategy was a huge part in the race, for sure. Go ahead, Mason. That was actually Garrett Lowe, Mike. Garrett not Lowe. Not Ryan Lowe, right? Yep. And uh, Blake Reynolds, uh, what do you think, Mason? We were talking a little bit about. Uh, they were doing a little, you know, trade and paint, so to speak. And there were a couple uh, incidents there where, you know, I don't know. I guess it was a racing deal. No, it was punt to pass. Uh, punt to pass, there. yeah. <laughs> but um, but they they were racing for that final championship spot for you know the the hundred thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, I I would do the same thing. But uh, but it definitely made it exciting there at the end. And uh, our friend here, Christian, got got the front row seat. Right. Yeah, it was pretty exciting to be kind of behind that. It was a bit of a scenario. I didn't really want to be in there. I like, saw them fighting up ahead, and they kind of got into each other and kind of got me there. And I'm like, oh, like I, I knew that scenario going in, so I was, I was trying to kind of stay out of it as best as I could. And uh, I feel like I did that. I, I hope I didn't kind of hold either of them up too much or anything. No, I, you know, and it was a very interesting race as far as that points go and, you know, going into the Homestead race. With Bobby, remember at Indy, uh, Bobby was leading, I believe, and ran out of gas right at the end. Ended up 36 or something. And so he had to win to get into this homestead, and he did. And so that was what was interesting is Bobby getting it done, doing what he needed to do. And then, like you said, Blake, you know, racing his butt off, doing whatever he needed to do to get in too. I think it uh... – the one thing I did miss is I wish they would have had a graphic to show live points on the screen. I, points as they run. Yeah, you get spoiled watching these NBC broadcasts, and uh, unfortunately, Race Spot didn't have that tool available to them. But yeah, those guys were, I mean, they were getting it. It was uh, super entertaining to watch. I know Zelensky did what he had to do to make it in, and Conti was right there in case Zelensky messed up, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. But, uh, that battle for the points there, that was one of the most entertaining battles I think we've seen all season. And Keegan doing what he needed to do to get in. Uh, you know, he quietly runs second or third there. 
uh, and uh, you know got himself into Homestead. Yeah, so just looking at the uh, everybody from 20th on down, uh, Michael Guest, Ashton Crowder, Ray Alfala, Ryan Lowe, Mike Riglia, uh, Chris Overland. I mean, big names here that are they're going to be um, needing some points to, to try and get over that top 20. Yeah, that was something. And then Ray Alfala's luck. We got to talk about that. I mean, I think he bumped the wall or something, and then his engine ended up expiring, and he blew up. And, boy, his luck this year is something else. But he is on the outside looking in, and uh, he's going to have to race his tail off to make top 20. And uh, Dylan Duvall, Malik Ray, and Matt Booster just squeaking by um, into there. They, To me, it looks like they're kind of within striking distance, and I'd be worried. Even Logan Clampett, I'd be worried, too. Right. I think Homestead should be a really good race. This will be the first time I think they've had the day to night for that race. And I know two years ago, I think Ray got wrecked out battling for the championship. And last year, he ended up winning the race and the championship. So it could go really either way for him this uh, this time around at Homestead. So let's handicap the Homestead, uh, the champion here. Uh, I, I caught the post race on the ho- way home from work and Keegan was very complimentary of Bobby and what Bobby had gotten done this week. And, and he basically said, you know, he's really turned it up a notch. And so based on that kind of comment, and he's racing against him, and he's his teammate, I think Bobby has to be the favorite going in here. But Blake, the last few races, has been, you know, very aggressive and, and getting stuff done too. Uh, Christian, what do you what do you think? Um. Well, from a personal point of view, I'd really like to see Bobby pull it off because I, I mean, I've I've known him for a while, and uh, I know he's really good. Uh, but he's he's just generally been a a, re- a really good guy, and I, I it'd be great from a personal point of view to see that. But I think there's there's a lot of different factors at play here in the sense of that yeah, you've got Bobby and Keegan on the same team, and to be honest, those guys have had the fastest kind of big track setups. So, it setup wise. I think those two are definitely kind of going up against each other and probably have the best shot in, in raw speed. I think Zach Novak has been has been very very good this year at kind of cutting through the pack. He's been one of the one of the few who've really been able to make it work. So I think kind of his aggressiveness is, kind of puts him in play and and then you got you've got Blake as well and I think Blake's biggest advantage is he's on dead zone and dead zone have a lot of cars in the race and I think that they it depends on how much those guys want to kind of play a team game and they could really kind of work something out on that score i'm not suggesting anything kind of like above the normal but hey hey, if it kind of comes to sort of timing restarts and so on that work in blake's favor and it'd be easier for him to get through those cars than it would be say the other three right and and the um you know sure amount of practice you know, a bigger team can put in, you know, getting the setups ready. Setups are so important, but, you know, Keegan did say in the post-race uh, he, that, you know, his base setup for the mile and a half is bomb, basically, and so they're not too worried about it. Yeah, I mean, that's been pretty clear, to be honest, since I want to say about Michigan, really, that those guys have kind of, they've really picked up on something and kind of set themselves apart when it comes to those those bigger tracks, so... I think qualifying as well in, on all the big tracks, Keegan, Bobby, Chris Shearvin, they're all in the same stuff, and they, they regularly lock out the top three spots. So 
I think that'll definitely put them in a good position to start the race. And then from there, if they can control it, it's, I feel like it's probably between those two, especially if it's, if it's a kind of mild race with not much action. Do you think uh, it being broadcast on NBCSN is going to play a factor at all as far as, say, nerves of the drivers or anything of that nature? Um, To be honest, I don't really think it'll play too much of a factor with those guys because, I mean, they've already got the whole deal of competing for a championship. I think the most interesting thing to me, actually, is that uh, it, the, the kind of fact that it's those four going through guarantees that it'll be a new champion rather than kind of a past champion because I always felt like that was maybe the advantage that say somebody like uh, Ryan loser or Ray had going in that they had the experience of having one already. So I think they're all kind of in the same position. I think a potential spanner in the works from the NBC race is, is because it's being shunted forwards into a different date. It's perhaps going to cause some issues with not necessarily the drivers being able to run the race, but their spotters, their crew chiefs and so on. I know my spotter can't make the race. He's, he has to work. So I think that's maybe a potential thing that might kind of play in, not necessarily with those guys again, but maybe throughout the field, it kind of might change things up a little bit. Did we lose your mic? Sorry, I was pushing the wrong button. Uh, it was, uh, I, was just, I was saying it's a 40,000 uh, to the winner. Uh, they're racing Thursday, October 10th on NBCSN. And uh, as we mentioned before, listeners, make sure... You uh, get on social media and tell NBC you like to see this because that's going to lead to better things in the future. All right. Well, Christian, we appreciate you coming on and, and uh, reviewing that. We're going to jump to topics. Stay on if you'd like. Uh, Will, tell us about the USAC race. Yeah. Last night, David Heilman picked up his second win in a row. Actually, he won at Lima Land. It was a very good race. Cole Cabray led the early start, um, about the first six laps, and Heidelman took the lead. Um, and then Cole, Zach, Leonardi, and Adam Elby had a fantastic battle for second place, throwing sliders um, back and forth for about 10 laps. And then uh, Zach kind of made a mistake, clipped an in infield tire, and uh, caution came out, kind of took him out of the race. Um, after that, there was like another caution, I think, a couple laps later. So we lost uh, basically had two cautions, lost about I don't know, five, six laps. And uh, lap 24 was the final restart. Heinelman held off uh, Cole for the end there, and it was a just really good race. And I don't know if you guys saw that at all. Yeah, I was watching on my uh, iPhone, and uh, I was at work, and I was showing some coworkers, and they were looking at it, and they were we were talking, and they had, they had no idea it wasn't a real race. They thought it looked like a real dirt race and uh, I had to tell them nope it's actually simulated and they're like no this looks real yeah that just the battle once Heilman kind of got away the battle for second there was I mean non-stop sliding top bottom of the track uh I I racing has definitely figured something out um this season when it comes to the track state and how it starts out the night the heat races are real racy um I think the first race of the season, the feature wasn't quite as good as the last two, but they seemed to really kind of hit their sweet spot, and these guys are putting on a hell of a show. It was less cautions too, right? Less trouble? Yeah, I think we had we had two cautions this week. I think we had two or three last week. Uh, the biggest thing is it's a 30-lap race, and you lose about three to four laps when a caution comes out. So um, once they get those caution flag laps to not count, I think that's really going to kind of change the game with the way they strategize with feel, and just kind of give us more of a show. I don't know. I feel like they need to make these things 
40 laps instead of 30 laps at the moment to offset the laps we lose via caution just because it's such a great show. It, it feels like it's over way too fast. All right. Uh, speaking of other finales, the uh, Porsche Esports Super Cup is finishing up their final round this coming Saturday. Josh Rogers leads uh, over by 34 points. Uh, so uh, we'll see if he can bring it home. David, what's the modified hitbox is broken? Well, I looked over this thread and I'm actually a little confused because the the original poster is not very specific about what car he's talking about. It's um, SK modified. The, oh, okay. I get, I get it now. Um, which does not have the new damage model, right? No. So he's just talking about the same thing that everybody that everybody's seeing in every other car is that the current the old hitbox is just a a generic like three dimensional or or maybe spherical hitbox and it's not actually lined up with all the dimensions of the car and he's brought it up and somebody posted a link to him saying that uh, the new damage model is going to try to address this by using more polygons in the in the in the hitbox and also there's a post from one of the admins asking for replays anytime they have issues like this but it looks like he's just experiencing the net code that everybody else is experiencing i think it's just worse than other cars uh, he, they're basically saying they can't even race side by side in these cars because they uh, net code each other so bad yeah the hitbox might be pretty far out on that one um plus it's a it's a, it's a stock car attitude car but it's really open wheel and you know open wheel cars just don't to react as well to side-by-side -side contact all right let's keep moving will singapore confirmed yeah um the uh iRacing uh instagram account had posted a picture in their story at the singapore grand prix and uh of course the forums lit up people thinking that singapore was confirmed um alexander horn hopped on and said guys dougie's in singapore visiting family and he's at the race singapore circuit not confirmed Oh, so just got everyone's hope up there a bit, but uh, it looks like Singapore is unfortunately not coming to the sim this time around. Of all the GP tracks I could pick, I mean, that is not the one we really would be clamoring for, to be honest. Yeah. Right, that's not the top of the list, right? No, it's going to be real tight, you know, not a lot of places to pass, walls everywhere, that kind of thing. <laughs> Someday we might have it. Mason, season four contest. Yeah, this is a kind of a reminder and a clarification. Um, we still have the Sim Lab uh, contest going on for the rig, but there's also the uh, F3 Championship Series um, that Sim Simu Cube is sponsoring, um, and they're giving away a Simu Cube Pro, I believe, uh, Pro Two Wheel at the end of the season. Um, originally, we had reported that there was a requirement to run the Simu Cube logo as a primary sponsor in your car. But Otto uh, Sabini from iRacing says that there are no requirements to run the Simucube logos on your car. You just must run at least 10 official races in the F3 Championship Season 4. So I'm in it. Yeah, uh, so that puts you in the drawing to get a, a nice direct drive wheel. Pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have so to add some uh, steel reinforcement to my GB rig. Yeah, big time. That's a good wheel. Yeah, there's definitely some confusion about that in the beginning. I remember reading it, and then now they've edited the post. So, uh, yeah. All right, next up, Steam customers' renewal pricing adjustments. We heard from uh, CEO Tony Gardner in the forums. He said, 
In conjunction with Steam, we are making some adjustments to the subscription pricing for renewals. The price change reflect currency adjustments, along with some other adjustments for VAT for individual countries. Uh, these will go into effect the next time you renew. These only impact Steam customers. And so uh, I think that's only if you originally signed up for iRacing through Steam. Uh, you have to re you you don't have to renew through them, but if you do, it's going to be a different price. And then there was another guy in the threads that said, "Hey, I I didn't start my account with Steam, but I have a Steam account, and it shows the renewal there, and it's a cheaper price than if I renew with iRacing. Can I renew with Steam instead?" And uh, people told him the answer was no. So I don't know what all that's about. It, I think it's taxes and that kind of thing. Yeah, Steam can always be clear as mud, can't they? <laughs> All right, Mason, the Gfinity Supercar E-Series. Everything you need to know. Yeah, so this is uh, gearing up to happen very soon. Um, it is the V8 Supercar uh, World Championship Series that iRacing is starting. Um, they got some, some group photos here. Um, they're based in Australia, and... Uh, we have, I guess, a drafted kind of team. There's really not as much information about that portion of it as I was like, would like. But um, there's a spotter guide that has the pictures of the cars, and we have Fox Sports, like the Fox Sports logo there, Mobile One, Boost, and these are like a uh, uh, Fox Sports racing team or Walk and Shine Ready United. That sounds like it has to be a real team, right? It is, uh, yeah. So so I'm curious to see if they kind of went the same route as the peak drivers as far as drafting people. But it seems to be um, that the teams got to choose who they wanted. And if they didn't get uh, the person who they wanted, they were drafting people from a list. Um, and it's interesting to note there is one female driver, Emily Jones, for Workplace Law Racing. And so, yeah, I remember Walkinshaw and Dreddy, um, they – got Josh Rogers and Jared Philsell, which are their Porsche eSport Super Cup drivers. Yeah, uh, looks like we got Madison Don, Jake Burton, uh, Ian Ford, Ethan Grig Galt, Joshua Muggleton, Richard Hampstead, Dwayne Warren, um, Brenton Hobson, and uh, like I said before, Emily Jones, who are racing in this series. Um, their round one is September 24th at Phillip Island. Uh, Monza and Suzuka, so I guess that already happened. All right. And they're being broadcast on Fox Sports over there in Australia, I believe. So uh, you, that's pretty cool. And you can find the broadcast um, on the Supercars YouTube page. I started it the other night, and unfortunately the wife was tired of watching sim racing because I just finished the USAC race. But uh, I'm definitely going to go back and give that a watch. It looks really nice. They have uh, everything set up almost like any other eSports event that you're kind of used to seeing on like the shoot 'em up side of games. So I can't wait to kind of sit down and give that a go. Yeah. There's a nice spotters guide. The supercars put up on their Facebook, uh, with the paints and, uh, different, you know, names. So you can try to figure out who's driving. Uh, that's kind of handy. Um, but I don't know who, who these guys are, so I'm still learning the names myself. All right. Uh, let's keep moving. Uh, Shane Porsche came in GT four confirmed. Yeah, iRacing getting a new car. At the Frankfurt Auto Show, the Porsche booth introduced this new uh, GT4 car. And uh, I was looking it up as a 425-horsepower mid-engine, you know, uh, 
six-cylinder boxer with the six-speed dual-clutch gearbox. Um, so I wasn't sure what a GT4 actually was, but it looks very much like a road car. Like if you were to go out and buy the you know the street version, you if you set them side by side, aside from roll cage being there or not, you probably wouldn't uh, be able to tell much difference. And so what kind of cars in the service today would we be racing against with this car? You know, I think this is possibly something that's going to go with like that new Audi that we got, maybe. Uh-huh. Because because I don't think this is going to be as fast as like the GTE or the GT3, and maybe we'll end up with like the 4s and the 3s racing it together, possibly. But I'm just speculating. How cool is Porsche, though? You know, to bring Steve Myers over to Germany for the Frankfurt Auto Show, the biggest auto show in the world, and on a huge stage in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, make this huge announcement. It's all about iRacing. You know, we're going to bring this Porsche onto iRacing. And that's the big show, you know, announcement. That is so cool. Wait, you know, I wonder what changed with Porsche because back when I first started sim racing at all, it was at, on Gran Turismo, and nobody had Porsche. I think maybe Forza 4 was the first one to get Porsche, and it was a big deal because they had just completely steered away from all video games and things like this. And now they've switched. You know, you got Porsche wheels, you've got Porsche and iRacing, you've got them in all the other uh, console sims and games and everything else ea had a like a licensing to them back in the day so once that license ended with ea they were kind of able to branch out to other sims and it really looks like they're really taking a liking to iRacing, which is great for us well i racing makes your car look like your car you know what i mean yeah i would love to see what their marketing department numbers say their 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 benefits are from being so visible in iRacing. well i haven't bought one yet Let's keep moving. David, uh, poll time. All right. Interesting poll. Uh, we have this discussion every once in a while, whether we should start from scratch or download a setup or tweak a setup. And so that's the quote. Or the, I'm sorry, that's the question. Do you buy your set? <laughs> oh, sorry. Do you buy your setups or are you an independent uh, of the services like VRS? And uh, the percentage was uh, 58 independent, 42 I buy my setups. I don't believe that number personally. Um, but that seems uh, high, doesn't it? That forty-two percent buy setups. That, that uh, seems high. I I don't know. I thought it would be higher. To be honest, I don't know. Um, VRS is just so not well. Okay, maybe you know VRS tries to say, hey, don't share the setups. But how many times does that setup probably get distributed, even to people who don't pay for it? So. Um, I think that number of people who don't at least re- rely on other people on that pull, source their setups pull it. Uh, you know, we we tweak we we start we use those as a better starting position than than the the safe fixed setup. Uh, but and that's what a lot of other people say too is that they they use it as a place to start, but they don't just run it stock. They they work on the set still. Yeah, and Keegan Leahy was all over this thread, uh, basically saying. You know, it. You know, we want you to use it as a baseline, just like you said, and tweak it to a, you know, to your liking, to your style, and that kind of thing. And in those kind of scenarios, it's okay to share your modified setup, but just to take the VRS setup and this setup, and without changing anything and just share it out, that's actually against terms and conditions that they have with their service, and that's really shouldn't be done. 
And so there was a lot of discussion in the thread about that and the, and the ethics of it. And uh, there were some people complaining, too, that, hey, uh, we've really gotten away from people building setups and actually sharing them, uh, you know, on an individual-to-individual individual basis, like it used to be in the forums before VRS. Um, and, that, and, and nowadays, you don't find people sharing setups much. Well, um, uh, that's because there's a, probably not as much of a demand because anybody who's in a position where they really have to ask for setups is uh, probably subscribed to VRS. Uh, I, I'm subscribed there because I can't build a road setup worth a flip. So I definitely at the road course run a VRS setup every time I'm there um, and don't really know how to adjust them so well. Uh, I've, I've picked up a few tips and tricks on, on tweaking the Roval cars, but I'm still not anywhere near as experienced as as our setup guys like uh, Brent and Mason who really builds us just some killer setups. All right, let's keep moving. We have an update on driver Josh Gerlach. Uh, he, uh, we talked about him earlier in a year running the iRacers Lounge Sprint car, and he's got a, a nice paint job uh, with our podcast all over it. And um, he's running the Dirt Midget Cup Series, and he did put together a solid week and uh, they put it up on Twitter there. Uh, they're on week two out of 12. It was Limeland Motorsports, and uh, he's got one win so far. So uh, go get him, Josh. Will, we got uh, Richmond Raceway star power. Yeah, Richmond Raceway has really been leading the way when it comes to getting these peak drivers some uh, good seat time and out there, in the, out there on uh, social media. But it looked like they had... Um, they had a couple of drivers. Um, Malik with, Ray. Yeah, Malik. I'm sorry, I'm spaced out here. Malik Ray and uh, who is the other one on their team? Mullis. Jimmy Mullis. Yes. They were out driving, um, looks like, after the cup race that Sunday with Justin Allgaier. Yeah, it was a Craftsman truck and a uh, Xfinity Bush car. I guess I, I'm not saying that right, but it was a Bush car and a truck. And uh, they were driving it around the track. It was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I think it was. Uh, I think it's really cool. I think this is the second or third time we've seen Malik get some seat time this year. I think he did some legend stuff earlier in the year, and uh, they also had a sim rig set up um, at Richmond Raceway, and you could actually compete lap time wise. And they had a a peak driver ahead of Matt Benedetto, even so. Those guys are getting it done. Yeah, Michael G getting the best time, twenty point eight, with Matt D uh, Burrito getting twenty one point zero. Uh, ben Nelson, who's a peak driver, 21-1. Anthony Alfredo, who's a truck driver, 21-1. Uh, I don't know some of these other names, but down lower on the list, Ashton Crowder put up a, a lap. Malik Ray, Jimmy Mullis. Good job, Michael G., getting that done. Uh, next up, I found a tidbit in one of the threads, uh, basically about what are these guys putting in for hours on these peak setups. Uh, and Keegan Leahy indicated about on his team 40 to 50 man hours between three people for each peak race so 50 divided by three people that's how many hours uh in a two-week span you know before a race will bmw driving experience 120 at road atlanta yeah so this is i believe the second time they've done this here but bmw is partnered with iRacing to give iRacers a shot at driving a BMW M8 GTE on one of the sports cars racing the most iconic tracks. Um, looks like the event is going to be on the 29th, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern. It looks like it's a you have to have two drivers. Um, that's about as far as I got in the notes here. 
Yeah, pretty cool uh, prize, you know, if you can get it. It looks like if you uh, pick up the win there, um, you'll go to the BMW Racetrack GT Training Level 1 um, in, in somewhere in Europe, it looks like. So pretty cool stuff going up there. I mean, this isn't very well advertised, guys. I mean, in a short notice, show up, man. What kind of ch chance are you going to have? How many people are going to show up for this? It's Sunday morning, uh, the 29th at 9 a.m. Eastern, and... Uh, Go for it, David. Get it. Yeah, I gotta have somebody else who runs the BMW, and I don't think any of us do. And I'm, I'm, there'll be guys there that are. I'm, I'm no alien. There'll be guys there that'll be way, way, you know, best seconds faster than me per lap. I don't like how iRacing has been giving out news lately. Like, I feel like everything is just last second. Yeah, like this. I mean, nobody's gonna know about it hardly, you know, because it's uh, w less than one week notice. It's kind of sad because they do some really, really cool stuff um, like this, but you would think something like this would have at least three months lead time to really promote, pump up, and uh, you have a good broadcast on it. It's just a shame. I feel like they just have so much coming at them so fast that they can't even really keep up. Yeah, there's so much going on. You know, maybe they need to have more community involvement, and so it's not all, you know, reliant on staff. You know, uh, there's been ideas about that in the past. You know, let's share the burden, you know, but, the, you know, these, uh, an event like this, you're right, the general population of iRacing needs to know about it. And I bet you less than 1% know about it unless they saw this threat. There's definitely many, many things going on, so some things are probably getting lost in the noise. That's true. I mean, that's the other thing. We're spread so thin with all the road and the dirt and the dirt road and the dirt oval and, you know, everything. It's, it's uh, you're right, we're sp spread thin. Talking about another event, David, we got the Bathurst 1000 this week. One of the most, uh, I would say, unforgiving tracks on the circuit, because if you miss, you're in a wall. The bot is is uh, Mount Panorama. Bathurst 1000, it's in, it's, uh, it's in the V8 cars, and it's, I believe, I guess, 1,000 miles. Um, and one of our teammates is taking it up, taking it on. Uh, People like to, and the team kind of like to call me the road guy, but no, I just kind of can get around in the sports cars. If it's a stock car and, or the or the supercars, which are really pretty similar to the stock cars, uh, Greg and Mason are beasts at, on running those at road courses. And um, he's planning on running it this weekend. We, on the link, we have his Twitch stream, uh, which is twitch.tv slash frozen cactus. Go check him out and follow him and watch him. Also, um, he has we have a link as well to his to a Facebook post on the Tafosi page showing him doing some prep work. And um, he's really stepped it up uh, on his streaming level. I think he has three cameras running now. You can see his, his shifter, his feet, and his face. <laughs> if you want to see his face. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's a good stream. Uh, check uh, Greg out as he does the Bathurst. Mason, uh, we got a pretty cool-looking thing in the iRacing flea market. Yeah, it looks like someone uh, got an engraver and has been uh, turning iRacing certificates into wood plaques. So this is a 9-inch cherry wood plaque, and uh, he's making them $20 if you're interested for one or 35 for two, uh, shipping in the USA. So it's a nice little uh, engraved wood plaque for your wall saying that you uh, got out of rookie class. Good job, buddy. First win. Yeah, and when I saw this, I went and pulled up my uh, PDFs on the website. You can go to uh, your profile page uh, 
and then click a tab in the middle that says awards and I think or something like that and then you can open these PDFs and what you do is you uh, apparently t contact Ryan Butcher on Facebook at the iRacing Fleet Market and you email him over your PDFs and he'll engrave them for you on wood. We should design a certificate for our little intramural standings. There you go. All he needs, I think, is a PDF. So, 20 bucks. Pretty cool. All right, next up, uh, a podcast I was listening to uh, called uh, Fast Talk by PRN. Uh, Hollywood Jeff Hammond uh, was on there touting this week. Uh, they'd be going 180 down to 20 mile an hour in that new chicane at the, at the Roval. So I asked uh, the team, and uh, David Hall, you pulled up the telemetry and found the apex speed there was actually about 53 mile an hour. Uh, kind of cool that we can do that with iRacing on a brand new track that you know NASCAR hasn't even been on yet. And obviously Hammond has no idea what he's talking about. Well, I'm sure he knows what he's talking about, but it was an, an estimated guess rather than somebody being on a track that, you know, with a simulator that's really close. So I don't, I don't think Hammond showing his, his ignorance. It was just an estimate estimate. And then we had a little bit more data than he had. Yeah. But I think his point is, you know, they're going so fast. They're going down to really slow to get through there. And it, it'll be an interesting week to watch for sure on NASCAR. What's real, well, what is really nice going into that chicane, uh, you can get really hard on the brakes and, and slow it down in a straight line, even if you lock it up a little. Uh, so, you yeah, there's a drastic cut. You're going all the way. I mean, some people are going down into first, but you're definitely coming all the way down from fourth gear down into second. And if 50 is slow, you know, that's almost pit road speed. You oval guys really don't like to use the brake pedal, do you? So, how about the real NASCAR drivers this week? Are they on our racing? Are they putting in laps to learn the chicane? Do you think that Chevy and Toyota and Ford have the updated track in their sim? Um, I wonder if the sims use the same data format. If, it, if they do, it wouldn't be too hard for them to import it. Christian, are you still here? Yep, yeah, I am. Do you know if the GT, JTG Doherty drivers have been on? Uh, I, I don't, actually, to be honest. Um, I know, obviously, some of the other... The NASCAR drivers use it, and I think, uh, I think probably the new backstretch chicane at the Roval is actually more helpful than the old one was. The old one was a little bit RNG, trying to kind of get through it with the curbs and so on. So it's probably actually made the track uh, maybe a little bit less of a spectacle. But I think as a sim, I think it's better. It's more predictable to drive for sure. It's probably helpful at practicing too. Yeah, the chicane is a lot more like the chicanes at at Monza, the Lesmos. I know, I'm sure AJ Almoniger has been on there because he races quite a bit and he's running Saturday because uh, we know Brett is spotting for him from Delbrum to Clear. The old chicane was such that, like, the way people drove that in the sim, you would never drive it that way in real life because it would just be the end of you. Yes. They would pretty much slalom it through there pretty quick, though. As much as I was on the curbs, I don't think a real cup car could take all that, that hitting, that punishment. All right, let's keep moving. Shane, a quick update about doing donuts and qualifying. Yeah, so there's a video in the forums of, of a guy in qualifying. Uh, this guy went and he was just uh, watching races at random, I guess, for whatever reason. Maybe he was mad about his qualifying position. But a guy was uh, on his outlap pulling out, doing donuts to warm the tires because the new tire model 
um, runs real cold and takes some time to heat to warm up. And so uh, they were doing donuts to uh, warm the tires, and that is not allowed uh, under the sporting code. And then we somebody quoted the sporting code, and it's talking about things like uh, drafting in multi-class qualifyings, which we don't really have, but it's all in the same spirit of the rule. You can't just be out here um, behind for some sort of mechanical advantage in qualifying. Yeah, and Nim Cross from the staff did post up a separate thread, basically uh, quoting that sporting code and making sure people understand uh, you will be suspended for doing something like this. One week, they say, no less. All right. Will, a North Wilkesboro update. Yeah, this week on the Dell Junior Download, uh, they gave us some kind of updates. It looks like they are going to scan North Wilkesboro um, during the Door Bumper Clear podcast. It sounds like it's going to be sometime in December. Um, but they're also talking about they are going to build it. So not only are we going to have the data saved for basically historical use, we are going to be able to race it sometime. Not sure when, but it looks like it's happening. I think TJ Majors indicated they're doing it maybe in December um, on his podcast. And so, yeah, Dale was talking about it as well. So it, it's happening, guys. Pretty cool. There was some talk, too, that it sounds like iRacing could kind of in post-production patch up some of those bigger cracks and basically revert it back to 1995 or 6 when it was last run. So it sounds like what we're going to get is kind of, I don't know if there's anything else like it in the sim, but uh, a, a kind of an older track kind of redone with their technology. The rose-colored glasses, Wilkesboro. Yeah, I could make an analogy. and You can do, go into music and do a, what's called click removal and uh, where the... The computer just kind of guesses where the waveform should be based on what it was doing before and after the click. Right. Yeah, and I think Dale was kind of talking about they were going to go that direction. I think the week before, they weren't sure what they were going to do, but it sounds like they're having further discussions, so pretty cool. It Let's keep uh, moving. Hardware, software, David, VR in motion. VR in motion is a post about having a, a, the ability to cancel out the motion that's happening in your VR if you have a motion cockpit. Right. Like, should you have a motion cockpit if you have VR? Because they kind of wipe each other out? I would have to try it myself to, to be able to really tell you. Um, I know I'm tempted on... I really am looking into that G6 seat. Is it G6? I don't know if I got the right number or not, but... Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Uh, I love the VR because of its immersiveness and just the ability to see the apex when I'm when I'm on road courses. Um, I don't know if I would would be missing the motion or not. They're talking about putting the tracking device in on a stationary place in the room versus do you put it on the actual motion rig with you? And uh, there are some people saying put it on the actual motion rig with you, and that works pretty good. Well. The problem is most of the VRs are going towards just camera tracking instead of having a, a, a source for the tracking. So like the Rift, it's just, it just looks at the room. So is it looking at the rig or is it looking at the room? Right. I don't know. Let's keep moving. Mason, the SHH shifter. Yeah. Um, the SHH shifter... Um, I believe it's a European shifter. I'm not 100% sure, uh, but that's where I bought mine from whenever I had one. 
Um, they have a new shifter, the fourth evolution of it, uh, coming out, and it is supposed to be better than ever. Now, I really liked it whenever I had mine. I sold it because I didn't want to figure out how to mount it to my rig. Um, but it's, uh, the top plate is now carbon fiber and before it was plastic, um, or it seemed like it was plastic to me at least. So, um, they got that going on for them. Um, they seem to be producing it in red. Um, I keep getting, whenever I click on this first link, uh, some kind of safety warning. So yeah, you might if you click through, it will take you to their website where you can buy it. Now it is, uh, it does say Google Chrome said it's an unsafe site, but I did click through and you can see it, but uh, 98 euros is what it sells for. Their website is shiftershh.com. And uh, why we uh, learned about this new version, it was actually Barry at Sim Racing Garage again, uh, cranking out the reviews, and he did a thorough review on this uh, not too long ago. Yeah, he actually, I'm looking here. So a couple things that are different than the one that I had. Um, the the part where the knob goes on the, the shaft, um, for me, that was just a pull on and push off kind of thing. And the one that they have comes with a little carter screw that you uh, put in there and that kept it. But this one has like a threaded part where you turn it on. So that's a, a nice update. Um, it also looks like they updated how you mount it now. And he has a piece of 8020 um, aluminum there that he's mounting it to. So that's pretty cool that he's showing exactly how you should mount it to a rig. Yeah. I think he said it was 3D printed, most of it. Yeah. All right. Let's keep moving. Uh, next, I got Symology Rig. And on Facebook, uh, Symology, on their page, uh, they posted up uh, basically before the official presentation uh, of the event. Uh, at, and to satisfy curiosity, here's some information about the static model and our base movement to DOF uh, motion cockpits and they're going to be available on pre-order and for delivery in October uh, the price 750 euros for the stationary and for the 2DOF motion 2500 euros and uh, what do you guys think it's a it's a pretty cockpit I love the the look of it anyway the yeah. um, the monitor stand is kind of unique yeah I'm just looking at how it, it's adjusted um those are interesting adjustment kind of things like it has slots like cut in to go up or down on the front of the the seat and right. the same with like it has holes cut in for your uh, pedal tray so that's yeah slots and holes and slots and holes isn't it yeah very adjustable yeah kind of look to it uh it looks solid uh, i love the red color you know red and black and the bit really nice looking sparko see it looks like wonder if they have a different kind of mount for direct drives because they only show a Fanatec uh, 2.5 base there. And you can see the motion components on the back attached to the back of the seat. Uh, 2,500 euros. So check that out, guys. Uh, I don't think I've seen that one before. Will, a data display unit. Yeah, Precision Sim Engineering. Uh, I have a hard time saying that. It's coming out with a new dashboard. This is actually a really nice dashboard here. It's a 4.3 inch screen. It has 16 um, LEDs, so it looks like it works with all your dashboard software. So Z1 dashboard, SimHub, SimDash, and Joel Real Timing, which we've been talking about. But this is a, basically a add-on dashboard screen for your SimRig. What do you guys think? 
I think it's expensive. 495 euros plus shipping. Wow. Yeah, it uh, it looks like it's up there in price, but it looks like it uses uh, it's a TFT screen, which is like a thin film. I can't remember what the last letter stands for, but I think it's gonna look really, really nice. I think you could uh, use an old tablet that's laying around to kind of do the same thing. But if you want a nice looking rig, this is a pretty, uh, pretty dashboard. It's well, got there's... the LEDs though that you know you wouldn't get that in a regular tablet. So there's see those along the like, top, uh... the little round dots. Yeah. They're showing this thing like attached to steering wheels too, I guess, right? Or, well, or are they just making a wheel that also has that? They had a wheel for a while that has its own dashboard. This looks like the next generation um, separate of the wheel. I'm sure this will be integrated into their wheels at some point. Yeah, this place is known for their wheels with dashes, and they have some really high-end looking wheels. We've talked about them before, but this is a new product coming out. All right, let's keep moving. Shane, DIY. Yeah, you know, this is a... So this is like uh, plans that you can buy off a website, Open Sim Racing. And it's for it's for an F1-style rig, cockpit rig. And uh, it's just blueprints on how to make it out of wood and plywood and things like that. You need a jigsaw and, you know, a little bit of a handyman... Uh, ness about you uh to be honest it's fully adjustable it's not dissimilar to that one we just talked about the uh, but wood yeah but wood and theoretically substantially cheaper so you know if, if you if you have a dad that's got a shop or you've got a shop and some power tools this would this would be cool man 15 yeah, bucks eight cents for the plans pdf so when are we going to get together and put that together for you shane Man, I tell you, it would uh, it would be an upgrade, and it would be cool. I mean, how many idea? pieces of plywood would you need to build some? Just a couple, right? Uh, it it tells you all that here. Let me let me just try to find it live while we're doing it. Where's the stuff? One sheet of five eighths inch or three quarter inch uh plywood. There you go. Let me tell you, if you made this thing out of three quarter inch plywood, you could, I mean, you could put motion on it. Yeah, it would be solid. Oh, it would just be absolutely a rock. I would advise doing um, just like you do with the with any of the eighty twenty, and get all the pieces ready, and then bring those inside and put it together. I don't know if that would be dusty, too dusty or not, but man, once you put a rig together, it's heavy. Oh yeah, it'd be a boat anchor. It looks very adjustable as well, like the way they have the slots and holes to cut again. Slots Slots and and holes, man. It's almost the same design between those two. It's very similar. You know, in, in, in a picture here, they've got some quick releases, too, set up like a bicycle style on the, uh, on the uh, wheel mount. So, you know, with the hardware, you get as fancy as you want on that kind of thing. You can make it adjustable on the fly, I imagine. And then, of course, finishes. You could, you could put clear coat on that thing and paint it white, and it'd be, you know, it, it'd look like one of those uh, play seat rigs. All right, let's keep moving. Mason, next level racing, freestanding triple monitor stand. Yep, next level racing has a triple monitor stand out now that has locking caster wheels. Um, it, it looks, I, I'm liking this design. It's just essentially. Uh, it looks solid. Uh, four legs and uh, six or eight casters. Um, and it, can, it allows up to 32 inch screens. 
Or actually, it says, uh, what? Stand supports triple screens from 32 to 65 inches. I apologize. Allowing up to a huge 195 inches of peripheral vision. Um, it says it's good for trade shows, events, sim racing centers, because um, you can lock those casters and move it around really well. Um, and yeah, it's, this is a, a nice little thing. If you're if you're looking for a freestanding stand, um, this is nice. It's $400. Um, and it's from Next Level Racing. I mean, three sixty-five inch monitors would just be like—I mean, it would be massive, wouldn't it? I don't know if this looks sturdy enough for that size of screen, but if you put, you know, thirty-twos or something on this, it would probably be about right. Well, since it's freestanding, all it's got to do is stand. Well, that's the thing. I mean, my stupid triple monitor mount I got from Obuto—it isn't freestanding. If this cockpit wasn't sitting under it holding it up propping it up it'd be on a pile a pile on the floor garbage and i'd love to get but a new one like this would you consider the consider the freestanding better especially well especially if it's a non-motion rig uh as far as uh the monitors not moving around on you when your four seedback's kicking in hard oh absolutely right. or bug kicker stuff and you know you can it, you can adjust your distance to and from a lot easier. You can just, you know, get behind there and slide it and it won't move, you know, all that. Uh, as somebody who attached a monitor directly to their chintzy rig, believe me, freestanding is the way to go. Yeah, you just move your cockpit underneath it, you know, in and out. All right, let's keep moving. SDK Gaming, David. So we have another basically streamer slash overlay live timing option. Uh, at sdkaming.co, uh, gaming, I'm not speaking well today, sdkgaming.co.uk, um, and it looks like it's got all the same kind of timing options and overlay options, and it uh, says that it has streamer apps. I don't know if that means it actually does something along the lines of OBS or if it's just overlays that are particularly I think it's overlays. For, for streamers. Yeah, I've taken a look at some of the chats. I obviously haven't installed the software, but it comes in a uh, subscription-based uh, architecture, and you can subscribe for a month or a year at a time. There's a couple of different levels, and they have a 14-day free trial. So if, you're, so if you're looking around and don't like your current apps or haven't tried one yet, you can check out SDK Gaming. Yeah, it's been around, I think, for a while, but I, I've never talked about it. Um, but there are people that use it and like it. So uh, it's much like the Joel Real Timing stuff or uh, any of these uh, timing and scoring kind of overlays. Track map, you know, that kind of thing. It looks like it's uh, 10 euros per month for that. Wasn't it? Okay, yeah, I thought it was about 8. I forgot to mention the price. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, I got... DIY motion rig plans and discussions uh, at xsimulator.net. Uh, there's some threads in there uh, that are fairly recent from this summer. Uh, PT-actuators 3DOF system. And this guy uh, details out, uh, you know, the hardware, the plans, uh, you know, talk. It, there's videos he shows about how everything is working and... Uh, pretty amazing if you're into diy motion you got to get on this thread there's some great information it just blows me away just to look at it even though i'm not handy enough to make something like that and uh, check out the videos uh it's down lower in the thread there's this one guy who's built a three-axis system where he's got two uh 
D box like on the front corners, and then there's just one on the back, and he's got an eighty twenty rig uh, attached to it uh, with a you know a stationary monitor. Pretty cool setup. Let's keep moving. Uh, Mason, a story on upgrading to direct drive. Yeah, um, Greg Fullwood posted up a story on his upgrade to direct drive from Fanatec 2.5 to a SimuCube 2. Um, he he wrote a little book, about three uh, three or four paragraphs here, um, and he tested it out in the BMW M8 at Mid Ohio. It looks like. Um, and uh, we, may, we may have driven the Porsche as well here, just zipping through. But uh, his basic uh, questions are, is it good? Yes. Is it better? Yes. And why? You are more connected with the road. You feel what you think the real driver would feel. Um, so is it worth the upgrade? Um, yes. He said he would buy it immediately in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, my upgrade from the G27 to the DD1 is night and day difference i mean and i and i do feel like i feel like what a real driver would feel as i'm driving the roval and i'm going around a corner and i'm turning that wheel there's enough resistance on that wheel that it almost feels like it would be a real car and so uh that is cool and uh, i agree that you do feel more connected with the road turn that force feedback high enough and your forearms actually get sore and uh, on particularly on short tracks or well even the bigger tracks, I, I can almost get a sense of timing just by feeling the bumps. Like it, it helps you get into a rhythm, just knowing where each of the little bumps is on the track. And Richmond was heavy. Richmond was really heavy with force feedback. Well, I'm glad that that someone has upgraded from a Fanatec 2.5 because that's what I have, and I've you know always been wondering is it actually worth it. Yeah, my jump was from a G27 as well, and I had a temporarily had a CSL base for a while as they uh, back ordered the uh, direct drives back when I ordered it. But uh, that was even a big jump going from the CSL to the to the direct drive. It was a huge difference. All right, let's keep moving. Uh, the in the next level racing uh, traction plus review. So uh, Barry at Sim Racing Garage, like I said, has been very busy, and he got his hands on this. Now, we talked about it, I think, three weeks ago. It's this flat-looking thing that you set a stationary cockpit on, like an 80-20 cockpit, and then it moves not only the back, but the front can sway, and they call that sway when it's the front. So most of these motion cockpits, they only move on the back, and then the front is like a pivot. But on this one, the front moves and the back move, and they move independent of each other, which really gives some unique motion cues that a lot of motion cockpits just don't can't do. And so I think this is really, like, like the company's name is, Next Level. Uh, Barry does a great review. It's over an hour and 16 minutes. Uh, why I like to watch this is just to see the thing operate. Uh, and, he, you know, he describes about the quality of it. Uh, according to Barry, it is high quality, um, and it's interesting to watch him watch it, uh, race it at the end of the video. Yeah, you can see on this video, both both of the tracks can actually slide left and right, and so you can actually get a little bit of rotation, actually, in in the wheel, like quite a bit, or in the seat. Right, like if you were to spin the car, it would give you a sensation of that, right? Yeah, that looks nice. 
It, it definitely looks nice. Uh, I forget the price. Was it six thousand? Six think? grand. Six yeah, pretty G's. expensive. Wow. So you think you can put the D box under that too? Get your tilts and your and your uh, yaws. Well, I don't know. I would say no. That he said that thing is really heavy. You need two people to assemble it. Uh, in each segment was like a hundred and something pounds. So I don't know if a D box would support that kind of weight. Would be my thing. But all right, one more. Uh, Will racing in VR? Yeah, looks like a uh, uh, sim racer hooked up his rig to a uh, RC car um, with a so camera. Driving... Oh, I'm sorry. With a camera, right? So you could see it. Yeah, it looks like he mounted like a GoPro or something of that nature on top of the RC car, and he's in his rig in a room with a kind of a a dual um, projector setup, kind of like what they use on the NBC broadcast, and he's just driving around his house. Um, and it looked like a lot of fun, actually. It does, actually. It was an interesting video. I think Tony Groves found this, but uh, I think this would be fun to try. Uh, it, it, you know, maybe uh, there's a market for a product like this. For sim racers, if you could just hook it to your existing sim rig. And uh, I, I could imagine myself sitting here in my office at my sim rig racing a, a remote control car that's in my front yard outside uh, the, the window. And I could see, you know, you know, from the camera on the car onto my screens. That's pretty cool. Isn't this how Predator drones work? Yep. Can I mount a weapon to it? Oh, that would be even better. FBI coming to Mike's door. All right, here we go. We're going to results next. Richmond, let's finish up last week. Thursday fixed. Uh, Iran DQ'd out on the first green-white checker right at the end. And I was, uh, you know, going to have a good finish. I think it was 12th or something I was running. Uh, got bumped on that, on that first green-white checker, and it was just too many X, and I was done. Friday open, I ran. I got P16. Uh, got involved in all kinds of crap, but uh, had over five minutes of damage at one point. But uh, I did come up through the field a couple times, so that was fun. To, uh, our setup was good. I don't show anybody else ran. Did you guys run? Nope. Yeah, I think Richmond was a tough week for people. Uh, let's move to Sunday open. David Hall, you got wrecked. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, the... I had a guy who was, uh, we were in a big long cycle of uh, green flag pit stops. And I'm coming hot on fresh tires and come off the exit of the back stretch and move to the inside to make a pass on a guy. And he decides halfway down the back stretch, I'm pitting and pulls right in front of me and stops and destroys my front end. Uh, no caution. I had to drive for the next 50 laps with an overheating car and ended up three laps down and was just never able to recover. Okay. Uh, Mason, not so good for you. P25. Yeah, this was my second run of the week. Um, I really needed a good finish, and I didn't get it. But I had some positives. I had a, a good car. Um, I was definitely running top five at one, or not top five, top ten at one point. Um, but I kept speeding on pit road, and that kept sending me in the back, and I got too aggressive trying to come up through. You know, wreck here, wreck there. On the final lap, I got taken out. You know, start finish line, just that kind of crap. But I put myself back there. Yeah, and it's easy to get caught up in crap back when you're back in there. 
All right, Sunday fixed. I ran. I got DNF. Did not finish. I actually spun off two on my own and hit the inside wall and had four minutes damage. I did continue. I stayed on the lead lap. Uh, it was repairing it. I think I finished, repaired about half of it, and then it blew up on me. So DNF. Let's move on to Roval. Uh, Wednesday open. David, you got P19. Yeah, it's too many self-mistakes, and uh, also found out I was having that issue with Joe real-timing alter my fuel without realizing it. I was confused because I had run a bunch of A opens, and my fuel range was supposed to be about 28 laps, and I'd pit on 25 and not have enough fuel to make it to the end of the race. And then the same thing. So I went with the two-stop strategy, and the same thing happened again. I barely had enough fuel, but I, I kept busting the chicane and then had a couple of self-spins, and I got involved with with some incidents with people that I wouldn't have been around if I had not been making so many mistakes to begin with. Now we had four guys in the same split. I think Greg was in there and Jesse. How did they do? Uh, they all finished better than me. I, I, uh, did I, I don't think I even finished the race. Uh, yeah, I did. I was just way, I was way slow. I had had so many times. Mason, you was in that race as well. Mason, you got a P3. Yep. That was a good one. I love these stock cars at road courses, I'll tell you that. I want to get into the V8 supercars, but the time zone thing, everybody in Australia runs at different times than me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just I ran an A Open on uh, on Monday with Blake Reynolds and Casey Kerwin. I learned a little bit there. I think I ran another A Open or something. I ran something where I was following somebody who was better than me and learned a little bit from them, so... Just trying to stay consistent and uh, have a solid run. Ended up being P3. Um, with I did put it in the wall a couple times on old tires just because it's so slick and slippery. But uh, loving the new chicane. It was a blast. All right. And then, Shane, you got a P9 in your first uh, NIS road course. No, not me. Oh, that's what it says there. Okay. You did run. All maybe right. That's, maybe that's where Jesse finished. Oh, okay. That would be Jesse. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Thursday open, uh, Tony Rochette got P10. He said the hardest P10 I've had in a long time, and he was slow. Now, he actually wrecked, I think, but still ended up 10th. Now, he was bottom split, and I was top split. There were two splits. I ran P21. I got actually spun on the first lap. Uh, flat ran over. I don't even know who did it. But uh, ended up dead last there on that first lap because of that. I did... Uh, you know, due to attrition, you know, get myself back up to P21, I think out of 28 cars. So, man, I, I am just not good at these uh, road courses. It's hard to know how, how everybody's going to run in that first corner. Yeah, and, and uh, Tony got hit in the first corner. Mine was actually um, in the middle of the infield, actually, is where I got hit. All right, let's go, keep moving to Fosse Standings. The Tifosi standings are powered by iPitting, who makes it easier for you to keep track of your iRacing team's progress throughout the season with up-to-date minutes, race results, point standings, and driver rankings for everyone on your team. Check it out, iPitting.com. And that's basically how we look up our statistics, and we have our own little spreadsheet with our internal competition. Um, I had a bad week, but that meant I finally gave up one of my uh, really good races that was counting as a drop week and got that those points back so i didn't really fall in the standings so i'm holding the lead 12 points ahead of tony who's 12 behind uh 
Mason's still right there as well, 22 behind. And Gray and Ellis are still within striking distance, 34 and 35 points behind, respectively. I like that it's so tight here at the end. The drop weeks make that make it that way, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting. Uh, it's always it's fun having the fact that you know we're all basically racing, trying to race in as high a split as we can, and um, so that automatically handicaps us. That's that's the, that was the original idea, and it's and it's worked out really well because we've got probably at least three different split ranges represented in the top five. Yeah, I should be catching up to you a little bit this week. Yeah, with that good run. So, uh, all right, let's keep moving into final thoughts. David Hall. Um, we're talking about new cars. I'm, I'm going to continue my crusade for a, a new Daytona prototype. Good luck for that. Mason Stiver, final thought. Yeah, I, I told Christian this earlier, but uh, <laughs> I heard 37 needs a driver, and I'd like to put Christian Chandler's name in the in the bucket for that. Ooh. Maybe in an alternate universe, that could be a, a you know a feeding area to for cup drivers. You know, uh, they have a vacancy. Uh, hey, let's uh, recruit you know up from the peak guys. That tweet was pretty interesting. How they uh, they thought they were basically going to have Christopher lined up for a ride, and then he went somewhere else. Yeah, they had an option through a deadline, and they missed the deadline, and then Roush scooped him up. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, silly season update with Chris Busher moving to the Roush 17 car. All right, let's keep moving. Uh, Shane Chastain, final thought? Oh, just pondering going and getting a big piece of plywood. <laughs> I will come help you build it. All right, you got to have tools. Will Gibson, final thought? I just uh, tomorrow night got to run down my computer and figure out had it crashed today during a truck race coming off a of four at Charlotte just uh, completely froze up took about a hundred I rating hit thankfully it didn't wreck anybody or the trucks I came out of it was zero X so I'm not sure how that happened but uh, tomorrow night after work I'm gonna hop on and shake her down and figure out what's causing this problem I'm having every now and then and hopefully I can start racing more soon okay uh, my final thought, uh, I had a brake failure. Uh, luckily, it was during practice. One of those little rubber grommet things uh, cracked in half again and broke. And uh, pedal went pretty much to the floor. Uh, I Luckily, I still had some backup little rubber grommet things, and I put it on there. And I'm back in business. But the first part of the pedal is pretty soft, or it's softer than it used to be. I don't know if it's a different kind of rubber is causing that feel or is there something else broken. I don't know anything about hydraulic pedals. And so that's my homework is I got to figure out, you know, is there a way to test this thing or do you have to do maintenance on it? I've never even touched it. So um, if any listeners have any uh, hints for me, let me know. I certainly would appreciate it. And with that, uh, let's move to Christian Challoner. Are you still there? Final thoughts? Uh, just thank you guys for kind of reaching out and asking me to come back on here. I've uh, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it the first time. Enjoyed it the second time as well. And I mean, hope it kind of makes for a, a good podcast and that people were kind of interested in what I had to say. And yeah, good luck to the guys who are running for that championship at Homestead. Like I said, I'd, I'd like to see Bobby Zelensky win it, but realistically, all four of them have earned their place there. So I think it'll be a good race to watch, especially being on NBC as well. So yeah, thank you. All right, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, I hope you have a good run at Homestead, and um, 
real happy to see you continue to stay in the top 20 here and we'll see you next year for sure christian and with that we'll see you on the track later Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.